This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, as you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Everybody, welcome back to Harvest and Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh, today uh, we're, we get a little crew chat once again. Bring a, a different set of crew together today, and uh, we're going to be talking a bit about ingredients, and not just any ingredients. Like, what are your go-to ingredients? I guess it would be what are our go-to ingredients inside the pantry, the fridge, whatever that we like to use with both wild fish and I would say arguably too like wild game. So uh, we'll get that to uh, in just a minute, but uh, I'll give some quick updates on myself. So um, dealing with some snow here in Denver, so I haven't really been out and about as much. Uh, looking forward to a possible ice fishing trip this weekend. Uh, so that's that's uh, in the works. We'll see if it shakes out. It's going to be weather dependent. Uh, have to drive up into the mountains, and uh, if the snow's too bad. Not going to make it up. But uh, outside of that, uh, the drawing seasons start to open. So uh, a lot of people planning their their fall hunts now as they start to put in applications across the western states. So that's pretty good. I say western states too. I got an email today that, of the Kentucky elk draw, of which I've never drawn, just like Pennsylvania. One day, though, one day I'll be there. <laughs> uh, and, until then, I'll just keep standing by to stand by. But uh, outside that, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think through um, 
some things. I'm working on a couple of recipes uh, for, for the magazine. We have coming up here pretty soon. Uh, we'll be releasing that in March. If you pay attention to our social media channels, you'll see that we made that official announcement. So uh, we've been talking with writers. We've been talking with uh, photographers. We've been talking with advertisers, all those folks. So if you happen to be one of those folks, uh, reach out, send us an email. What's cooking at harvestnature.com. We love to chat through some of the details of that. If if uh, if you're interested in writing, photographing, or advertising, uh, we we can chat for sure. Uh, with addition to that, uh, we are doing some spice testing. Uh, we're testing some blends of spices that we've we've uh, identified that we want to use for our first big game blends. So we're really trying to do some cool stuff with that. I want to talk about that in a minute after you kind of get a feel for everybody that's in the room and what we're doing, and I'll, I'll explain the process. It's also kind of a first herd for them, too, so they're getting the spices, just not yet, um, so they're going to get to test those out as well. So we're, we're really trying to prove, uh, make the best uh, spice that we can and use the true scientific method here, so uh, we'll, we'll walk you through that in a little bit, but uh, I will... Without further ado, go over to Corey. Corey, uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods? It's been cold and snowy here. We so we've had a cold snap, so we've been in the single digits for the past I don't know a week or more. So it's probably probably got good ice on the lakes around. I just haven't gotten out yet to ice fish. So just trying to take it easy the last last few weeks. Yeah, you seem seem like you're a bit under the weather. A little bit, a little bit. My an, another reason for that, my son is wrestling for the first time, and I'm a coach, so I, I was yelling a lot at the at his tournament. So. Oh yeah, I saw those pictures. I'm a little worse. Nice. Um, any, anything else going on? Are you? Uh, what was I thinking? I haven't cracked into your dandelion jam yet. I'm waiting for like a really, really groggy, nasty day. That uh, prickly pear <laughs> jam didn't last very long. I, I yeah, mine was gone in three days. <laughs> One sitting. Yeah. I'm in a. I'm on jar number two uh, of mine. But uh, no, it was pretty good. I'll. I may have to write up the recipe for that and share it. Uh, we've talked about it, I think, a lot since uh, everybody got it. They've mentioned it, and we talked about it last podcast too with the the canning episode. So. Uh, it, it was fun to make and pretty easy. Uh, you don't have to have a pressure canner for it. Uh, the water bath method works. If you want to learn about that, go back one and listen to our canning episode. <laughs> but, um, yeah, sorry, Corey. Uh, continue on. Any, anything else you got? No, no. Just uh, excited for the magazine to come out and people to uh, subscribe to that. So. Yeah, should be exciting. We're gonna. I'm excited with the the print on demand and the digital. So our main focus will be kind of the digital, and then for those that really like to hold paper in their hands, like me, I like to read paper. Uh, so I will order that. But the cool thing is, is that our advertisements in there, you'll be able to click, and it'll take you to the website. So it's pretty unique uh, functionality there. Someone did ask a a question on how the print on demand works. So. Might be a good idea to explain it. Now. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I answered the question on social media. So if you need, if you feel like reading the answer, go go there and look at that post. But uh, really, what will happen is the same place that you um, are able to read the digital version, 
you can order a print-on-demand copy. And so print-on-demand, basically, we're not going to hold a bunch of stock. We're not going to, as soon as it's released, ship out to everyone. Uh, the main subscription part of it uh, will be the digital part. And then if you're like, oh, man, I really like this. Like, I want to I read it. I want to put it on my coffee table. I want to put it in my bathroom. Like, whatever. Um, you'll have a button that you can just literally click print and it'll be a different price uh a more expensive price because then then instead of just using the the waves of of uh signals the electrons yeah the electrons in the world the waves of signals to carry the data from uh the servers to your phone instead it'll be uh printed at a printing house and then uh mailed to you shortly thereafter so uh that's kind of what we want to do that way we're not printing a bunch of copies one it saves us money two we're not just printing a bunch of copies and wasting paper so uh people that want to buy them can people that don't just want to read it online can read it online and people that don't want to read it at all well they're just wrong so <laughs> um okay colin what you got hey everybody this is colin um Really happy with the feedback that we've got so far for the magazine. Just, I guess I'll I'll plug it as well. Uh, a lot of really good comments on our social media. And people looking forward to it. We're also very excited about it, as you can tell. Um, so yeah, looking forward to seeing what comes out of that. Uh, I made a Mississippi roast out of some goose gizzards that I have collected over the past uh, year. So I think some of them were for from some larger. Uh, westerns or uh, yeah, it would have been Western Canada geese uh, last year, and right. then from some cackling I, I have a, this year. I, What's up? Question. Yeah. So, goose livers, right? Gizzards. People, gizzards. Sorry, goose liver. Goose, um, <laughs> goose gizzards. Yeah. So when people think of gizzards, I think probably what most commonly pops in their head is like chicken gizzards, right? Which are yeah. you know roughly size of a golf ball, maybe smaller. Yep. Um, what 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 are we looking at when we look at a, a goose gizzard? Uh, it's a it's about the same diameter as a baseball, but like oval shaped. It's like oblong, but okay. it, it's it's big. I mean, you could throw it and hurt somebody with it if it was frozen. <laughs> like, uh, All right, noted. <laughs> it's hefty. I think I used ended up using six six large ones and two smaller ones in this recipe. Uh, okay. And then I just, I just diced them up to, I rinsed them out and got all like the, like the stuff they were eating out of it or a lot of that uh -huh. out of there and then diced them up. So it, it looks like there's almost like a V in the middle of it. If you haven't seen a gizzard before and that's where, mm -hmm all the, what they're eating goes into. So you kind of cut out that V and you're left with two halves and, uh, and trim a little bit of the extra off, some, maybe some silver skin type stuff and, uh, super tender, super tender meat. And that's what I used. Nice. So, and, uh, yeah, put that into a crock pot, slow cooker, uh, dump some half a stick of butter in there, some pepperoncini juice with pepperoncinis, and then some, I used ranch powder for this one. And I left it on there for seven hours, which is actually a little bit too long. I think I could have taken it off in six. Some pieces were a little dry. 
and then I made rice and put it over rice to well, the whole point behind this recipe was to cut down on some of the marshy, briny flavor that waterfowl get up here because we're so close to the coast. They're going to get a lot of that brackish seawater. Um, mm-hmm. Even if they're passing through and they land here for a day, they're still going to absorb that flavor. So, Justin, you know you've had you had the jerky, and yep. you, you know the flavor that I'm talking about. It's a little muddy. Um, I wouldn't call it gamey because it's not gaminess it's it's muddy it's earthy tasting um but this the pepperoncini acid and i think the butter and the ranch especially cut down on that flavor uh and then i put it over rice also that uh, cut it down even further and i'm actually going to heat some up the last of it that i have and put it on some tacos tonight too with some coleslaw um, so kind of a mix of stuff. It's it's really good for tacos if you're in for some different flavors. Uh, yeah, it turned out really well. That's uh, something I would definitely do again with goose or any kind of waterfowl from up here. Huh. Yeah, I, I like it. I like the the Mississippi roast. So I did one a while back. Uh, we, we have a video, a YouTube video, and an article with a recipe on it. Um, so it doesn't use the powder packets. I think I talked about this in the, the, the Flintlock episode with Corey, but then when I was visiting Corey, you guys made one while we were there and we ate it as sandwiches, which was pretty phenomenal. Oh, and then, cool. yeah, I made one this last weekend, uh, and I made mashed potatoes and we served it over mashed potatoes and we did that. So Saturday night I made it. For dinner, we did it over mashed potatoes. Sunday morning, brunchish time, uh, I made omelets with the meat. And Ooh. then uh, I did ramen on Monday and added the shredded beef in or the shredded meat into the, the ramen. And so I ate it that way too. And then I just finished the last of it yesterday. So I bet I bet it'd be great on a Benedict, on like an English muffin with a poached egg on Ooh. top. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. I like it because it's so tangy and flavorful. It's just yeah. like, it's really good. Yeah, it, it uh, turned out really well. I'm happy with it. Um, I mean, I love Mississippi roast. And actually, if I was going to do it again, I'd probably do it with actual ranch dressing, not the powder, just to keep a little bit, keep it moist a little bit more, um, keep it from drying out. Maybe that extra you know, moisture from the actual ranch dressing, what? not the powder. I think probably what you're running to is like the the gizzards is even though it's a muscle and it's a tough muscle, it's very lean. Oh, like super it's, uh, zero fat on it. Yeah. 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 So that that's going to be it. So even like when you do venison roast or things like that, like there's still some liquid yeah. that kind of cooks off of it. So that's adding to it. And then so the recipe I have really the only liquid is the I use some of the the brine from the pepperoncinis and I pour that in there and then uh I saute onions in butter and that's oh, okay. really that's really the only liquid everything else just kind of comes off the yeah comes off the uh the the roast so you're really just braising it in the crock pot so yeah I also left out a big part. I marinated the gizzard meat in buttermilk overnight, which is mm. has been recommended to me multiple times for the waterfowl out here. Um, uh-huh. I think that helps with the flavor and cutting down on that muddiness too. Um, but I also think it helps with the leftover flavor. I mean, buttermilk is delicious. So 
I think it'd help with the leftover flavor coming off out of the crock pot. Yeah, I like it. All right, cool. Um, well, let's uh, let's roll into uh, let's ro- let's talk a little bit about the spice testing process. So, for those that don't know, we're going to be releasing our own blend of spices throughout this year. And our first one, we're going to be doing a big game. So, we've been testing some combinations of blends, and um, I uh, I tested some the other day. So, I tested four different ones. And uh, then I subsequently packaged up small samples and sent to Corey, Colin, Ryan, Emily, Casey, and Ben. And so what we're doing is we created – I created a matrix. You guys haven't seen it yet because you haven't got the package. You will soon. But it's essentially like it has the uh, an abbreviated name of the spice blend in a column, a vertical column. And then a horizontal row, it's got the meat type, right? So – um, I did like bear, elk, white-tailed deer, mule deer, other types of deer. Um, what else did I do? Moose. Somebody had moose. I put moose on there. Um, I even included, because I had extra space on the page, the waterfowl. So like light geese, which would be like your snow geese, dark geese, like your Canadian geese, uh, diver ducks, and dabbler ducks. So you can literally you have the whole list there, and the the way I tested it was I took uh, I took antelope out, so that's on the list too. That's at the top. I took antelope steak out, I took one steak out, and I cut it into quarters, so they're about two inch to four inch pieces each. And uh, I used a uh, I believe I don't even think a teaspoon of oil, just a little bit of neutral oil. I used safflower, and I put that on each piece, and then I put each seasoning on it, noting which one it was, so one through four. Uh, And then I rubbed it um, so that it coated it pretty well, brought my pan up to medium-high heat, threw it on there, seared each side, like medium-rare, and then pulled it off, let it rest for five minutes, and then I cut and sliced it. Both my daughter and I uh, taste-tested it. And then we took the same sheet that you guys have, and we we uh, rank ordered them one through four for the for the antelope. And so then what you guys will end up doing once it gets to you is whatever game meat you have, big game meat and waterfowl, since I threw that on the thing too, is uh you can use to um, rank order it, and then we'll compile all that together and we'll say boom, this is our favorite blend. So not a. I don't know. What do you think? True scientific process? Yeah, I think it uh, it measures up to the scientific method. Yeah, that's good to me. Yeah. Oh, and I, I split the elk, too. I did Rocky Mountain elk, and I know, Colin, you have some Roosevelt elk. So. Yeah, that's a whole other taste test we can get into. But I eventually like to experiment with is tasting if there's any difference between Rocky Mountain or Roosevelt elk, and then deer species as well. But... We we you know what we should do that when we all get together this year we should all bring a pack of like whatever yeah and uh and then we could also buy a pack of like the farm raised stuff and then we'll just do oh, a taste yeah. test and we could do like a live podcast recording yeah Bl- a blind taste testing yeah That'd be fun. I think it'd be super super fun um so that's our spice testing process so keep it out uh, an eye out we're probably gonna announce uh, the first blend. For sale either next month or the first couple weeks of, of March. So keep
keep an eye out for that. We'll be good to go. We'll subsequently follow that up with probably an upland bird blend, which will include like turkey, pheasant, dove, all those. We're, we're going to create uh, a blend close to that or close to satisfying all those upland bird species. So be just in time for spring turkey. So boom. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Let's talk about our... our, uh, our topic tonight and so that I mentioned earlier is going to be go to and so really what we're going to do is we're going to kind of move around between us three and we're going to we have each five ingredients which we feel are like really useful in the kitchen and so one person will identify what their ingredients is and the other people will tear it apart no I'm just kidding we're not going to tear it apart well we'll just discuss this as to why uh and chat through and um you know, then in the end, we may recap and see, like, oh, yeah, that was my favorite, or this was my favorite, uh, you know, wh- whatever that looks like. So, um, since, and you guys feel like, if you feel like I'm totally crazy out of left field, let me know, and I'm going to convince you otherwise. So, um, I think probably the way to look at this is, like, what is your go-to? What is something that you use pretty commonly throughout all your wild food cooking so that includes game and fish um, that is is really uh, beneficial in creating flavor and enhancing the dish. Remember, we're not trying to cover up flavors. We're not trying to mask flavors. We're trying to enhance the flavors and make the meal more enjoyable. So with mine, my number one probably like go-to ingredient are eggs. And you're like, what? I would be like, what? So, let me break it down for you. I use eggs in uh, a a lot of ways, right? So, eggs are great alone for, like, breakfast items. So, if I'm going to make, let's say, on the website, we've got a huevos rancheros recipe, which is phenomenal. Guess what goes right on top of huevos rancheros? Huevos, also known as eggs in English. So, uh... um, a little Spanish lesson there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, that goes right on top. I like it over easy with all my breakfast stuff. I've done uh, wild game ve- breakfast burritos. We've got, like, uh, oh, man, pretty much anything I could put an egg on. Uh, the meat and the media recipe, the shit on a shingle. There's an egg on that one. Um, Locomoco. I just really like it. Huh? Locomoco. What did you? 
Locomoco, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eggs on that was a good one. Um, I mean, if you're, I see a lot of people now they're doing like uh, bacon variations of game stuff like that. You would pair eggs with that. Sausages for breakfast, like all those things. I think that it's, it's it's pretty relevant for eggs in the breakfast realm. But if you step outside of the breakfast realm, I like to use eggs as a binder for fish. Uh, when I fry fish. I like to use the egg as the binder. And I don't just use egg, though. It's usually like egg and milk and yellow mustard and the spices. Because I like to season the fish, um, the liquid, which would be like your milk wash. uh, And then I'll also season the batter as well. And so all those things are seasoned so you get lots of flavor no matter where you're biting on the, the piece of fish. But the... The whether you're doing like a flour egg wash cornmeal or you're doing egg wash cornmeal or like whatever order you're you are creating your batter for the fish eggs are a great binder and that helps stick your flour or cornmeal or whatever powder you're using to the fish itself so that's why eggs rank order up in that the last one also used as a binder because I don't mix fat with my ground game, um, I oftentimes will use egg as a binder inside my ground meat. And uh, that helps hold the patties together. Otherwise, they just get kind of like soft and squishy and sometimes crumbly. But like that egg really helps bind it together. So I'll whisk up an egg, usually like one egg per one pound of ground meat. Throw that in there. That lets me make meatballs. Lets me make hamburger patties. That if you're making meatloaf, it really firms up the meatloaf, so you can get nice slices. If it's still too runny, you can add breadcrumbs in there. But it, it's still all like, oh, it just really works. So, eggs are my number one. Who wants to go next? I'll take it. Um, I'm gonna pounce right off of your egg ingredient there and say breadcrumbs because not only do I use eggs as a binding material for meatballs, meatloaf, other ground meat, but breadcrumbs also gives it that extra and like packing material because you want to call it and a little bit of an extra crunch in there when you, you go for meatloaf and, and meatballs and stuff. So breadcrumbs um, yeah. immediately, I, I use them a lot. i Love meatloaf, love meatballs. So anything with those, I'm I'm tossing breadcrumbs in there also. Uh, just something that I've always done. Uh, my next one is going to be wine. Whoa, 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 whoa. time. Whoa, oh. whoa. Slow okay. down. Oh, okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. Jeez. Yeah. All right, breadcrumbs. That's it. Uh, <laughs> uh, specifically panko breadcrumbs. Yeah. Panko? Yeah. Not, you're not an Italian breadcrumbs guy? Uh, no, I like the I like the the larger kernel size of the panko ones. They're like kind of larger mm-hmm. and and popped out more. Yeah, nice. Okay, I uh, I was working on a recipe actually last night, and I'll go ahead and tell you the recipe now, and then you guys can stand by for follow up. But you know, uh, Colin, you'll be familiar with this, Corey. I don't know, you may or may not croquettes. Like, so uh, Cuban croquettes have, like, ham and potato, and then you roll them in flour and egg wash and then breadcrumbs, and then you fry them, and they're about the size of, like, you took a cigar and you cut it, you know, into quarters or whatever, depending on the size of the cigar. But um, they're rolled like that, and they're just, like, it's a good little snack food. I had 
leftover mashed potatoes from this weekend, so I I worked on making some croquettes last night, and I used eggs, uh, ground venison, and uh, cheese, and panko. I have a croquette story. Well, sort of a story. Let's hear it. Uh, I did a deployment on a Dutch naval ship at some point, and they love croquettes, but they're not like they have good croquettes and they have bad croquettes. Like, like you can get good chicken tenders in the store, you can get bad chicken tenders. Well, it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Uh, <laughs> so the good croquettes were good. They had like visible chunks of meat. Like you could you could see they were kind of like homemade almost, and they were pretty good. But the bad croquettes are just like blended like meat paste uh, with like potatoes. Not good. But they love them. They were always saying, like, oh, it's a nice Dutch treat and everything. But, yeah, it was like almost every meal you can get a croquette on the side. So that's what I think of when I hear croquettes. But I do also, I yearn for the good croquettes. Um, maybe you'll have to come up with a recipe and make some good croquettes. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, croquettes are so good. <laughs> <laughs> Sent my daughter to school with them today. Don't don't disappoint uh, so, that shit. <laughs> no, <laughs> noted. Um, all right, Corey, you're up next. What's your number one? Um, one thing that I found that I have, I always have in my pantry now. And started in the last few years, and I use it often. Are uh, chipotle peppers and adobo sauce. Like you can get them at the store, a can of them at the store for less than a buck. So always grab a handful every time we grocery shop or whatever. And uh, um, you can do a lot with them. I just made barbacoa this week, so you can throw a bunch in there. Okay. Um, the Mississippi roast. One one time we were making it, we didn't have pepperoncinis and didn't want to run to the store, so we just threw chipotles in there. And, uh, Interesting. It came, out, came out great. A little bit, you know, obviously different flavor, but still same principle. Um, all, you know, I like a little little heat on my tacos, chop them up, put them on that, or a salad, um, put them on top of a burger. So, and so you too have a world-famous uh, squirrel dip, right? It's got chipotle peppers right. in it, too. Yep. Yep, so yeah, the, the, they're... World famous. Depending huh? on how hot you want, you throw, you know, two, four, six of those in there. If the kids are eating it, it's it's two-ish. If it's just <laughs> going to be me, it's a few more. That's what makes it world famous is the kids will eat it. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> gotcha. Um, but no, it's the, we have the recipe two out. Um, yep. Let's see. I'm trying to think chipotle. Chipotle peppers I've used in a multitude of things uh, just throughout time, I think. Um, I've used, and when you first said chipotle peppers, it made me think about the dried peppers. You know, you can get those at the store in like the, usually on like the end cap or wherever the other Latin American spices are, and they'll have like different dried chilies. That's kind of what my mind went to, and I was like, oh yeah, the huevos rancheros, you use those. Um, but I think you can sub in those, the canned chipotle peppers too, is that's what you're talking about, right? 
Yeah. It's like yeah. the canned peppers yeah, and they, adobo sauce. Yep. Yep. And like, so you, you can, typically I only use like a couple at a time. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch, even the little cans, there's a bunch in there. So I'll just put them in a container, put them in the fridge, and they'll last for a while. And, you know, just use one or two, you know, here and there and work my way through the can. But even still, the cans are like 89 cents or something like that. So they're nice, nice thing to grab Yeah. at the store when, when you're there. I remember uh, my last cooking job, we came up with a – it was at a taco place and uh, a very nice taco place called Mellow Ventures, Key West, if you're there, go go visit. Sorry, Mellow Cafe. Mellow Cafe and Mellow Ventures are yeah. used pretty synonymously, but uh, uh, Great we decided to – Yeah, we decided to create a Chipotle sour cream, and uh, so we made that, and I – it was I made it the first few batches and I taught the cooks how to make it and then they were making it and then I came in one day and they were like, Hey chef, like these plates keep coming back with this Chipotle sour cream in it And I was like, Well what do you mean? They're like, I don't know what it is. People are saying it's too spicy. I was like, What do you mean it's too spicy? Like we've been serving this for weeks, like there's no problem and then uh I was like, Let me see, let's taste the sauce So I go and I taste the sauce and I was like, Holy smokes I was like, this is so spicy. I was like, what What did you guys do? Like, walk me through the recipe as you made it. They're like, oh, you know, we got, you know, we put the sour cream in, we put the seasoning, we put this, and we put uh, one of these adobos in. And he, I look at him and I was like, one adobo? As in like one pepper, right? He's like, no, 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 like one can. We just dumped the whole can in there. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. So yeah. I've made that mistake before. Um, I, I was doing a Hank Shaw recipe or something and it says, you know, two to four peppers and I read it as two to four cans ah. and I put two cans in there and it, it, was, <laughs> it was a little spicy. I bet. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I'll go back. Uh, I'll go back around. So, uh, my number two ingredient, salt. And before you call me basic... Um, I will tell you that, one, salt is in everything that you eat, most likely in some form, unless you're not a salty person, um, but that's okay. But I'm not talking necessarily about processed foods or packaged foods or things like that. Um, I like to use salt in various ways. Um, I like to use salt in preservation, uh, so keeping your foods, whether you're preparing it for curing, whether you're drying it, whether you are adding it to a vinegar base, where you are brining, where you're doing all these things. So salt plays a very crucial role in that. And you have different types of salt. Um, you know, you've got sea salt, you've got kosher salt, you've got iodized salt, you've got pink curing salts, you've got all these different types of salts that serve their different purposes. But in the culinary world, they're used very much. Uh, a lot of different ways. Probably the most common way is like people use kosher salt or sea salt or Himalayan pink salt or Hawaiian salt or whatever. Applewood smoked salt. Um, You're using these as flavor enhancers. So they're spices, right? So salt has the ability to take whatever you want to uh, grow the flavor of and it does that. Um, So 
it increases your body's ability to detect the flavors and things. So it's an enhancer. So for that, I say that salt is probably more used than eggs in, in about all of my recipes. Have you ever used a salt block to cook? No, but I've one. heard of it. I got one as a Christmas gift. I think it was actually a white elephant Christmas party a few years ago uh, and used it. And it was cool. I I couldn't tell, like, a noticeable difference in flavor, per se, but mm-hmm. it was cool to cook on because, you. I mean, it's like this – it's basically replacing the cooking surface with this block of salt. And I think yep. I cooked a couple of fillets of fish on it and some veggies, and it turned out – pretty awesome but I mean it's the same thing it just absorbs salt straight off the off the actual block uh, you, you know what I want to do with uh, with salt this year and okay. I'm going to do it uh, probably in the summer salt baked fish have you guys ever seen that is it like completely encrusted yep yeah you okay. completely like you put the fish in, you put a layer of salt down you put the fish in there and then you completely cover it with salt and then you bake it and then mm-hmm. you literally like take the salt away from it as you uh once it's cooked but it just seems like it, it's such a cool uh such a cool way i don't know Corey, do you have a yeah. salt story i uh i used too much salt one time and everyone's <laughs> like spicy squirrel i remember that you called me you're like how do i fix this i was like Make more of it with no salt. <laughs> yeah, I was I was upset. I wasn't paying attention. I think I opened the wrong side of the the salt shaker, the pour instead of the shaker part. Mm-hmm. It was like ruined it. Um, but anyway, yeah, I I think salt salt plays a pretty crucial role in most kitchens. Uh, I would I would definitely say that. Um, you know, grains of salt, you can do salt crusts, uh, you can roast things in salt, um, brine things in salt, brine yeah. things in salt, I think brining, too. yeah, dry brines or wet brines work pretty well. Um, I like to do a dry brine for pastrami, uh, yeah. when I, when I do that. I think it, yeah, I think it absorbs better. I don't know. Yeah, I could see that. All right, Colin, what do you got next? All right, next up is uh, red wine. Ooh, the best. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Who is it, like UB40 or something? I forget. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, The best pot roast they ever made was with red wine. And I will never make a pot roast again without using red wine uh, or any kind of, like, mix of veggies and starch and meat together. I think it adds a really bold flavor. Um, I think it, it enhances any any meal like that. So I got a whole bunch of roast and stuff, elk roast, in my freezer right now, and I'm planning on using a significant amount of them with red wine. Mmm. Nice, yeah. I like I like the red wine too for like really hearty um really hearty roasts like you were talking about because I think it really accentuates the flavor a lot. Yeah. 
I think we have uh, who was it? Tori did a elk pot roast on the website. That one's pretty phenomenal. Um, oh yeah, I'm trying to think other ways which you use rice. Oh, we have a. You know what I did? And this is an odd, like, off-the-wall thing with rice or with red wine. I did, like, drunken noodles but with red wine oh, yeah. and cooked cook the pasta in, in red wine. That was kind of cool. And then served it with, like, grilled steaks. So that, that recipe is up on the website, too. So that's a really um, that's a really neat one. But I think that's a very classic um, – a classic – classic way you go like beef bourguignon yeah from France which kind of, yeah which I haven't made but I'm also planning on making some of that too yeah yeah do like a little elk bourguignon yeah the Julia Child yeah yeah Cord you got any uh, you got any wine stories with cooking no, with, with cooking not with drinking <laughs> <laughs> we don't use it too much we usually just drink it yeah, that's fair. I like it when the recipe calls for like it's like half a cup of wine, and then you have to buy a whole bottle. And you're like, oh no, what yeah. am I going to do with the rest of the bottle? I guess I'll just drink it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you end up pouring too much salt into your recipe, and you know, yeah, happens. So. Yeah. Too many yeah. salt and chipotle peppers. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Corey, what do you got next? Um. One thing I've started using more of is like lard or tallow Ooh, or like yeah. bacon bacon fat. So when we cook bacon, we'll do it in the oven mm-hmm. on like a uh, sheet pan or whatever, cookie cookie tray. And so it captures that, and I'll just put it in a uh, ramekin and put it in the fridge, save it for later. But like you... Um, when it calls for oil or something, I'll I'll throw lard or tallow in there instead. Mm-hmm. Um, like with the barbacoa we just made, like one of the last, like if you're using it for tacos or something, the last step is you know kind of fry it in the frying pan with a little bit of uh, oil, and I used bacon fat instead. Oh yeah. And uh, I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I have. We have a local butcher, and it was like 99 cents a pound for lard, so I got 30 pounds of it. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, so it, it it came in this like one foot by one foot by one foot cube, mm-hmm. frozen <laughs> block of lard, and I had to get my meat saw and cut it, but like it's lard, so it's slippery and slimy. It took forever to cut that thing into chunks so I could, you know, vacuum seal it and freeze it. But um, I plan to use that, you know, mix it in with some uh, ground venison to make sausage and Ooh. and stuff. And I used some of that to do a goose leg confit, and that was some of the best goose that I've ever had. Um, we And I, I did a ton, I did a bunch of, I filled up the, since I had so much lard, I I just filled up the Dutch oven. I don't know. I I had like eight or ten legs in there, and just a you know a ton of lard. 
So I had a lot of leftover stuff so I could make I did what what all did we make? I made like uh, we did like goose leg tacos. I did like a frittata um that uses eggs. Yeah. Um, oh, there we go. Full circle. <laughs> I uh I did like a, a goose leg stew. So and this all used this all had the lard. Um and uh yeah. And so I'm going to use that to segue into my next thing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Because it, it, it goes hand in hand, and we'll just go in reverse order. Yeah, that's a good oh, idea. Okay. Yeah, you're the podcast producer, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so so when I do, when I... Uh, wait, wait, the, wait, the wait, 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 wait. I have one thing about lard or fat, though. Okay. Go so ahead. we go ahead. we've been talking a lot about it lately on the podcast, right? Because if we recall, uh, within probably the past year, we had uh, we had a discussion on soaps from Wild Game Fats. Uh, we talked with uh, Wade and Rachel from Elevated Wild. We had a whole episode on game fats and rendering game fats, uh, which makes them usable for lard. So and we discussed so many recipes with them. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I myself like, I'm like you, I like to keep bacon grease and I like to keep duck fat on hand. And I like to use those to finish things too, just like you said. The, your duck fat that you keep on hand, is that store-bought or are you getting enough ducks to render your own? No, it's it's store-bought right now. Yeah, so, but when I do get ducks, which is going to happen probably next year because it's, Lesser ducks now, but maybe goose fat if it's good. Um, the the only geese I get are in the early season, so they're not all fatty. Yeah, really. And, uh, so there's not they're not there's not much to them. So I'm getting the breasts and legs and hearts out of them, but not much fat. Well, hopefully uh, you're also now saving gizzards to make Mississippi gizzard. Roasts. I don't even know what we would call that. We'll have to think of a crafty name for it. But outside of that, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how fatty the geese are going to be. I got some plans in the in the working. Uh, hopefully, with our buddies from over at Infinite Outdoors, uh, we we talked about maybe doing some live stuff from the field, uh, Colorado goose hunting. So we'll see if that comes. But uh, all right, back to you, Corey, for for that next ingredient. So, um. My next thing is uh, wild game stock and and or braising liquid. So, like when I did the uh, goose confit, there was a ton, ton of liquid left over, right? Pulled mm-hmm. all the meat, picked the meat from the bones, and there's, um, I strained the liquid... And there's just this ton of liquid, and there's so much flavor in that, and it's fat. So I save that. And so that, like, once it solidified, it was just like bacon grease almost, so I just used it like that. But it also applies to, like, the Mississippi roast mm-hmm. or any of the braising things that I do. Um, so the uh, other day, uh, I did a big batch of pheasant. I, I braised down... Um, I breast. I had four whole pheasants, 
and I, I breasted it out and cooked the breast a different way. But I just put the rest of the carcass with the legs and thighs and wings still attached. And uh, I braised them down. And I picked the meat and we used the meat for three or four different recipes. But I kept the liquid and um, my wife used some of that uh, to, uh, to make risotto, which we paired with the pheasant breast. Mm. Um, and then what I do is I have these little plastic, uh, jars. Mm -hmm. They're like canning jars, but they're plastic. So I'll put those in there. Uh, I'll put the braising liquid in there, throw it in the freezer and let it freeze and then, um, pop it out of there and put it in a vac bag. So like when I, I need to, uh, braise something else, I'll just throw that in there. So it's just reusing that braising liquid over and over and just accumulates all these flavors and and um it just makes things very flavorful and you're not you're not dumping all that flavor down the drain, you just keep reusing it. And, uh that's one thing I highly recommend anybody doing is if you make a roast, if you make if you do any kind of braising, save that liquid and just keep reusing it. You carry those flavors on to the next thing. Ooh, yeah. I think it's really good. Um, man, I have so many thoughts. I love making stock. Uh, actually, so if you go to our our um, cooking classes, our on-demand ones, not our virtual ones. So we have two different sets. So the on-demand ones, there's a uh, wild pork, a smoky wild pork one that I did. And uh, that stock came out really, really well. Uh, the class is only an hour long, so it's mainly kind of like the prep going into it, and then once you get the meat in the pot and get it simmering, uh, you're good. But I always, 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 uh, unless I'm traveling and there's you know, like CWD restrictions and stuff like that, I always try to save bones to uh, bring back and roast and make stock with. Um, I've done it with fish. I've done it with lobster. We have a good lobster rest, uh, stock recipe. Um I've done it with crabs. I've done it with shrimp. Uh, I take vegetable scraps and, like, throw those in the freezer. And then once my gallon bag's full, I'll make vegetable stock. Like, I I love to use stock for pasta, for boiling pasta, for cooking rice, for, like, whatever I'm doing. If it calls for water, I generally add some sort of stock. And you'll see, like, the flavor is just so much better. And and I don't know if what I'm doing is is technically stock. Because, like, there's still bits and pieces. It's not that clear, transparent liquid. So that's... Like, it's... Um, so I, I don't... I don't necessarily... I don't know if you could you could call it stock. A lot of times I just call it braising liquid when I label it and put it in the freezer. Yeah. But it, I think it... It it does the same thing, though. It has all that, that flavor to it. Um... So you're talking about, like, a... a, a consomme, uh, which is like a very clear filtered stock, also kind of a soup um, that's super clarified. That's what you're thinking about, like cooking liquids. So you can still have a stock that is uh, has bits in it, but really are, sorry, so you get like consomme, you get stock, broth, and you get stock, and stock can have stuff in it. Uh, broth, I think, needs to be clearer, and then uh, consomme 
I'm probably butchering the way I say it, but that's okay, is essentially you use some other extra medium to take out any bits of anything. So it's just literally straight liquid and flavor. And uh, I've, I've tried that before with like a coffee filter, yep. and it takes forever, and I don't have the patience, so I'm like, it's good <laughs> the way it is. Well, I do. So I do three-part. When I make my stocks, I do three-part. I do like a... I do almost like a screen screen mesh, so picture like on your window screen, like that same size. I run that through there first. That gets out your big bits, most of the smaller bits. And then um, I do uh, – I've got a tea filter. Uh, it's a metal-like tea strainer for drinking loose-leaf tea. If you put it in a cup and then you put the loose-leaf tea in there, pour your water in there, and then you lift it out after it's set, all the water drains out and the tea leaves come. That is fine enough that it will get most things. And if I if I want to get really detailed, I'll use, like you said, a cheesecloth, a kitchen towel, a coffee filter, or whatever to filter out the rest. But uh, that does take a long time. But I at least go down to the tea strainer. So... Um, and that, depending how long you're going to keep the stock on hand, will, like, help you. It won't continue to, like, the flavor evolve or bitter or sour from whatever ingredients you have in there. So, I, I normally, after, I keep it in the fridge for a couple of days. And then after a couple of days, I'll throw it in the freezer mm. days later. So, And you use, like, you said, like, almost like plastic canning jars? Yeah, yeah. So that, or, or just like a Tupperware thing so I can freeze it in a shape, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, pop that out of that and put in a back bag and vacuum Whoa, seal it while it's still that. frozen. That's a pretty good that idea. That way I'm, I can vacuum seal it, get it nice and airtight, and not have use all my Tupperware in the freezer. You know what I like to do? Um, this is probably the, the, the cook in me. Um you know the the liter plastic containers that you get from like restaurants that you order soup in, and they'll be like the plastic ones. They're tall and they've got like a plastic lid that fits on top. Uh, you get them like if you get Chinese food or Asian food, you order soup or or pho, Vietnamese restaurants, or whatever. You get that is like with your liquid in it. I like to put my stocks in that and then freeze it because those are, I mean, you're essentially just getting them reused, and it doesn't. It's not taken away from your plasticware or glassware stock in the cabinets and then they just kind of stack neatly in the freezer too so that's an idea um well time for my number three time for your number three since All i right. got skipped well <laughs> no, we're going we're back, back to you you oh. get to go twice okay uh olive oil is my next one i know it's pretty basic it's kind of up there with salt and pepper but i use it for Absolutely everything. Anything that needs like some kind of sautéing or you know, uh, like a sear, like a, a nice sear before you put it in the slow cooker or braise it or anything, all of those will go too. Uh, it's also just like... Do you go crazy with like the, the the very fancy olive oils? Go to the store with olive oils on tap? Oh, no. I don't have any of those around me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to... Uh, in San Diego, there was like three places where you had, there were like olive Temecu oil. And, Temecula Olive Oil Company? Yeah, just like olive oil and like <laughs> balsamic vinegar uh, rooms where they have all these like flavor infused ones. And they're good. I just never bought any of them. Like, 
what am I going to do with an orange and chili fused olive oil? Like, I think I could use it for one thing, but I don't know. <laughs> it's like I either got to buy all of them or none of them. Um, but no, I I do I can taste the difference between really good olive oil and like cheaper stuff. Um, but I just kind of go for like mid-range uh, olive oil. And do you guys know the like one of the hidden secrets behind olive oil buying quantities of olive oil? You should buy it in smaller bottles because as soon as it it's exposed to oxygen, it starts to oxygenate. So larger bottles that you use over longer periods of time lose their flavor. I read it on the internet, so it's got to be true. Uh, You're talking yeah. about larger bottle, plastic, plastic versus glass, and any any quantity or any type. Uh, it's just the amount because the amount gets oxygen. It's like um, like Oxidation. wine. Yeah, if you leave wine open for too long, you know it starts to lose some of its flavor. But with olive oil, it's even if you put the cap back on, uh, it can hmm. happen to olive oil. So it's better to use it in smaller quantities or I've, open smaller quantity bottles. I, I've I have had uh, really poor quality olive oil, and then I've had, like, uh, when my mom was stationed in Italy, they went to an olive place and pressed the olives, like, themselves and made their own oil, and they got to bring the bottles back, and she sent me several, and that one was really, really good. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know. There's so much, you know, there's, like, a lot of controversy around olive oil, too. You didn't know that? Is it similar to, like, some of the wine controversy? Uh, Authenticity? Yep. You look at authenticity, and then now you've got – you've had over the years an emergence of U.S. uh, olive oil producers. And so now uh, those U.S. olive oil producers are upset with the fact that um, the, like, Italian and Spanish and Greek and European – countries hold the predominant market still in the United States and are able to keep the price really high, but th- there's like a competition issue. So huh. a lot of economics behind it, but it's just like, well, yeah. you know, you, you vote with your money in a way, so it's like, what do you yeah. want to support? But uh, I think aside from that, I think about, I've kind of strayed away from olive oil except as like to finish with. So if I'm going to do like salad or I'm going to make salad dressings or you know, yeah. infuse the olive oil with something as an extra spice. I really got on um uh I started cooking a long time ago with grapeseed oil. Yeah. Uh and I, I really like that. And then recently I've been doing some safflower oil. Uh so I kind of go between those two because they have a higher a higher smoke point, which means you can heat them higher before they start smoking, which means you can get things crispier. Yeah, that's um, the downside of olive oil is that it does not have a high smoke point, so yep. you can't get yeah. really high heat sears on it. Yeah. So I will use that as a segue mm. into my ingredient, uh, clarified butter. So do you guys know what clarified butter is? I've heard it. I know we've talked about it before, but I always forget. It's like you, you heat up butter and you wipe away the... Uh the white foam, right? Mhm. Mhm. Yep. Yep. So, uh you'll see it commonly referred to as ghee. Um so it is a that part that you're removing is is part of the the lactic properties uh similar to like dairy and milk and stuff that have that. So, um clarified 
butter could be considered dairy-free, but it's, I don't know, it's this weird status. Either way, uh, it, once you remove those those uh, elements from it, it has a higher smoke point, and it also becomes shelf-stable, uh, which is pretty good, too. But you still get, like, a really good buttery flavor in things. And so I like to do my eggs in it in the morning. Um, I like to use it in baking, um, off and on, depending on the recipes. Um, anytime, if I want to fry things and I have a lot on hand, I'll do uh, some fried fish in it. I'll do like chicken fried steak. If I'm going to pan fry anything, so not deep fry, so deep fry being where it's like floating, like fully submerged, um, or pan fry being where there's like just some in it and you're just browning each side, I like to use clarified butter a lot. I don't know. I guess you could add regular butter to that. Do you guys have any clarified butter stories? No, no. I've never used it, but it sounds like I might need to. Yeah, you should try it. It's pretty phenomenal. Um, and then since I get to go twice, Corey said it, my next one is mayo. And uh, I like to use mayo on steaks and roasts and things I'm going to sear. And you're going to – I've said this for years. Uh, I did a test on it after I heard the, the rumor of the use of – of mayo and mayo is just an emulsion, right? It's a uh, essentially like egg and oil in its very basic form. And uh, once you add that on there, the proteinaceous properties uh, in that emulsion plus the oil. If you coat a steak lightly, coat we're not talking about like lather. If you lightly coat a steak in that and season it, and then sear it, you will get an incredible crust on it. And I did that with okay. the roast I used for the Mississippi roast. I've done it with steaks. I've done it with tons of things, and it works. So now I just – I don't eat mayo or anything else, right? I, I'm not a big mayo fan, but I keep mayo in the house just to sear things with. I, I keep it in the house because we make a lot of our own dressings and dips. Mm. So we we did tacos with the barbacoa. Um, this week we made uh, like the avocado sauce. Oh so yeah, mayo. Uh, uh, you know, mashed up avocado, honey, and lime juice and garlic. Mm, yeah, good, that sounds good. good. That. And yeah, yeah, that does sound good. And you could use like a uh, mayo as a form of kind of like a, a modified aioli. So. Uh, if you went yeah, super fancy with aiolis before, yeah, mayo is a good substitute. Yep, I like um, I like, I like sauces. Yeah, me too. Dressing, so it's an essential part of a meal. Is it used in the Chick Fil A sauce? Mm, Mustard, know. barbecue sauce, honey, and mayo. I think that's the Chick Fil A sauce. Which one? And my the the Chick Fil A sauce. The Chick Fil A sauce. Better be okay. careful, the the copyright folks are gonna come after you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know, I guess. I'm sure there's yeah. some recipes floating around the internet. We'll just, just blame it on them. It's just a guess, right, Corey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I got that off of uh, Meat Eater. Oh yeah. Oh, they oh, have, okay. okay. You know, Daniel did it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and 
she did the turkey nuggets with Chick-fil-A sauce, and then with the nuggets, you marinate them in pickle juice. So that's where they get that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, the pickle brine. And I, I yeah, did yeah. that, and it was it was awesome. All right, so we'll go we'll go back to you. I think we got time for each one more. That'll put us at twelve total. Cool. Back, uh, no, it won't. <laughs> That'll put us at eleven total. No, twelve. We said four. Right. Which? Uh, what was your second one, Corey? Or your after lard tallow? <laughs> Uh, Wild Game Stock. Ah. I'm trying to keep a list. Okay. All right. So well, you're up, number 11. I, I just mentioned it with the, with the mayo, um, with the avocado sauce. Uh, lemon or lime juice. I always Ooh. keep that in the, in the fridge. Um, I use it a lot in sauces. Um, or like when we're doing tacos, like we're, you know, frying up the meat, I'll mm-hmm. drizzle it on that to finish it. Ooh, that's good too. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'll, I'll, I'll take a modified version of that, uh, lemons or limes and those accompany a multitude of things, just like you said, to like finish things, but like a little spritz on that. But also too, if I'm making, and I've done it with. Uh, I've done it with brines, I've done it with dry brines, I've done it with rubs, I've done it with just regular seasoning, I've done it with batters, but to zest, zest the lime or zest the lemon, um, because there's more concentrated flavor in the peel uh, of the fruit than there is the actual juice. So, not not to make sure you wash. Yeah. Make sure you wash it before you do that. Yeah, and take the sticker off. I use stickers all the time, dude. <laughs> uh, I had a coworker uh, eat like I had a coworker eat like half of one of the stickers on an apple once. <laughs> he was like eating it, and then he held it and was like leaning against the wall. And I looked over and I saw that like half the sticker was eaten. I was like, "Hey, man, uh, how's that sticker tasting?" And he's like, "What?" <laughs> he's like, "Oh my gosh, I just ate it and I didn't even realize it." <laughs> oh man. Uh yeah, lim- lemon lime juice too. They're pretty useful for lots of things. Uh, ceviches for cooking fish and things like that. Um, oh gosh, my mind just totally blanked. Um, I'd expand on the- that and say orange juice too. Uh, I've used orange juice a lot in like steak marinades uh, to get that acid in there. But I mean, it's just the same thing. It's just a different, you know, different type of flavor. And, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, like carpaccio, that's what I was thinking. So like carpaccio, uh, you use lemon juice on, and so you, th- there's a lot of people starting to do it now. I think Ara's been doing it some, uh, using like venison tenderloins or venison loins also known as backstrap, and you have to freeze it first, like a hard freeze for several days to kind of kill all the the little nasties inside of it that could be there. And then you thinly slice it super, super thin, like paper thin. And then um, you uh, use olive oil, and you use um, the lemon juice squeezed on it, 
and usually like there's cheese and capers and eggs sometimes raw eggs sometimes in that and you kind of like mix it together and uh, eat it on on like toast or crackers or bread or whatever maybe there's some like balsamic vinegar on it like all kinds of stuff but that's becoming a pretty pretty good trend we have to do one of those up here pretty soon but uh that's a good use of lemon juice i can think of off the top of my head yeah I've never made carpaccio, but I might, if I'm feeling adventurous, I might have to try it. Yeah. I might have to try it, too. It's going to happen. I wonder how antelope carpaccio would be. Got to find out. Only one way to find out. Yep. Stand by to stand by. <laughs> All right, Colin, what do you got next? Uh, garlic powder. So Ooh, garlic you powder. You talked about salt. Uh I thought someone was going to mention pepper, but salt and pepper are, are pretty basic. You know, it's that's kind of like the first ingredient that anybody ever uses. But when I use salt and pepper, I will most often use garlic powder along mm-hmm. with it. Um, it doesn't. I don't feel bad about not using fresh garlic. I like using fresh garlic, but sometimes you want the kind of dryness of the seasonings together, and not like a like a paste and that you would get with fresh garlic that's minced. Um, so I use it. I think it adds a, a nice extra garlicky flavor uh, that couples well with salt and pepper. So I use it on pretty much anything, any kind of like hunk of meat that I'm going to put salt and pepper on, I'm going to put garlic powder on it also. That's fair. Yeah, I, yeah. I use garlic powder a, a good amount too. Um, it's probably one of the spices that we go through most. Uh, because I do like to use it. And sometimes I'll even add fresh garlic in, and then I like to get the roasted garlic powder, which is, you know, it's got that little kind of like smoky roasted flavor to it in addition to just being dried. And so you get kind of like, you get the garlic flavor from the fresh garlic, and then you get almost this kind of sweet garlic flavor from the powder, the roasted garlic powder. And uh, I I really like that. I like it with fish, too, a lot. Yeah, yeah. But I think overall garlic's pretty important to either powdered form or like raw form. Do you ever think you put too much garlic in something? No. Never, never put too much garlic in. <laughs> I've met people who have thought that I put too much garlic in it. But uh no, that doesn't exist in my house. So you'll you'll notice that the majority of the recipes that I ever write is like two to three garlic cloves is what I like to use unless it's like super unless I intentionally want it super garlicky because sometimes I think it does overpower a little bit but I am a huge garlic fan um I do like it I like oh my gosh just roasted garlic oh that's one of my favorites you just put it in the oven and just cook it oh smear it on some bread or something yep yep Yep. just like that I'll even do it if I'm doing uh stuff in the smoker I have extra space on the, the grill grate, I'll buy like six heads of garlic and I'll just throw in there. Oh, just nice. let them roast while I'm cooking yeah. whatever else. And then uh, you get like smoky roasted garlic paste and it's just so delicious. Um, and then what else was I thinking as far as garlic? I'm not a fan of the, the pre-mint stuff that's in like that weird oil. I, I like that stuff. So uh, I, it's convenient, <laughs> but it's like it's already rotting. I don't know. I just, I just like to cut it myself. 
I won't I won't go on there. I won't go on a tirade. Stupid stupid in there. Um don't have to worry about getting my fingers all garlicky smelling. I like that smell though. Like, yeah, but not when you're laying in bed at night and you wipe your nose and like ah wash your hands. <laughs> well if, there if are, you're there feeling are some garlic. smells that just don't come out. <laughs> yeah. Although I think if you wash your hands with like lemon or lime juice Ah. It helps cut through it. Yeah, I, I have another a, reason. Another le- reason to have it in the pantry. I have <laughs> lemon scented dish soap that I use. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, I think we've covered a lot. So let's do our because uh, we're definitely much more over time than normal. Ah, I guess whatever. I think we've covered a lot of really good things. I think you could run through these twelve things and like if you had them on hand. You'd be pretty solid to cook a, a multitude of, of game dishes, um, at least to enhance it. Is like these are pretty key ingredients as far as I think about it. So, uh, you guys want to let's do last thoughts. So, Colin, last thought. Uh, no, I don't have any. I think these all of these. Well, I guess I do have one then. Yeah, um, all of these ingredients <laughs> are. Uh, some of them are pretty normal to have. I'd say some of them like. Uh, Clarified butter might not be one that everybody thinks to gather when they're going to the store for supplies, save like you're stocking in a new kitchen, a fresh kitchen. Um, but all of them are good to have on hand. We talked about how many different combinations and uses of stuff. So all mm-hmm. these things are – we're going to put a list together of all these 12 ingredients, I think. All of them would be worthwhile to have in a kitchen because you could do a lot with all of them. None of them yeah. just have one purpose. That's what I'm kind of that's true. I think you could you could probably use them all at once and make something too. Probably could. <laughs> As yeah. I look at it, challenge, challenge yeah. accepted. Just, just dump them in a bowl and see what happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not like that. Maybe a little more strategic. Yeah. Otherwise, you just end up with a, just a big buttery, oily, juicy mess. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. spicy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, all right, Corey, what do you got? Last thought. Well, I'm I'm when I was thinking of these ingredients, I was thinking of stuff that a lot of people might not necessarily have, but it's e- easy to get and easy to keep. Mm-hmm. Like the chipotle peppers, they're cheap. They're in a can. They last forever. Just keep them on your your pantry se- shelf and use them when you need them. The, the lard and stuff, I mean, it's good to have uh, a local butcher that you can you can get that stuff from. Um, but, you know, put it in the freezer, um, you know, keep for a while. I, I actually bought a gallon of beef tallow, grass-fed beef tallow off of Amazon. And um, I used that over several months. I just kept it in the fridge. Um, and I like, used it took me like four or five months to use it all. Wow. Um, the stock, the stock, I mean, once you braise something once and you just keep reusing it, reusing it, keep it, you'll you'll always have something on hand. And the lemon lime juice, you know, just grab one, they're a few bucks at the store, keep it in the fridge. So stuff that you might not necessarily have now, but it's easy enough to get a hold of and keep and and utilized in your cooking. Yeah, I I think 
I think that's definitely rings true. You brought up a really good point of the fact that uh, all these things are pretty readily available. Um, either you can make them yourselves or you can buy them at most grocers. You're going to carry them, uh, which which makes it pretty pretty standard, pretty accessible. They're all shelf-stable or freezer-stable or fridge-stable. And uh, some of them you can drink without uh, using it in a dish if you really wanted to, uh, which is good. But I think outside of that, um, I think it's a pretty solid list of stuff. If anybody has any anything that they think we missed or anything that we should add to our top 12, uh, send us an email, what's cooking at harvestingnature.com. We'd love to hear from you uh, about what ingredients you find key in your game cooking. And that can be anything, vegetables, starches, flowers, not like like flour from your garden, but like a flour from ground things. F-L-O-U-R flower. Yeah. Yeah, either way, we'd love to hear from you, and thanks everybody for listening. As always, the show notes and links to all the recipes that we hinted and mentioned at and references will be in the show notes. And then, uh, you know, keep an eye out for spices, for magazines, for cooking classes, for all those great things we're doing. And then finally, don't forget about Hats for Reviews, Whatever podcast platform you're listening to, punch that five-star button. Leave us a written review, and uh, we'll read it on the air. And, you know, tell us what we're doing wrong, or maybe tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Mm-hmm.